Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Hey, Ben. Glad to be back. Uh, another episode. Actually, this is uh, part two of the one we uh, did last time. Yeah. That would make sense, right? Part yeah. one and then First, part two. <laughs> Let is me that- just take a moment and explain <laughs> in front of all of our listeners how this works. One comes before two. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. I know that you grew up, uh, you know, in parts of Mississippi where... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, no. Yeah. yeah, school was optional. Yeah, yeah, so when they were teaching you one through six, they used the Miller Ponies, right? This that, is one Miller Pony. Oh, Miller Ponies. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, there, there's a flashback. Yeah, yeah you're Part welcome. of my trauma. Part of your trauma. Yeah. yeah, so speaking of trauma, let's talk about your wife and how you've traumatized her. Yes. So we left off this uh, last part of this episode one talking about how you got actually made it through your divorce and find yourself getting remarried to each other. That's a crazy part of the story. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I always say the, the Baptists don't know what to do with me because I'm the husband of one wife twice. Just kind of blows their mind. That's not the only reason the Baptists don't know what to do with you. Well, there are probably some other Maybe things. Maybe number one. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's at the top of the list. So you guys, just for the sake of time and episode length, you had to pause the story there. But what we're going to hear today in this legacy episode, we're picking back up and kind of diving into what the real problems are and how in marriage and how those problems are often different than the ones you think they're going to be on the front end. Yeah, you know, the work begins, I mean, certainly in recovery, you know, number one goal is sobriety. Um, and that that's that's number one priority because if you're not if you're not sober, sober minded, uh, then you're you're gonna have a lot of distorted thinking. And so, um, you know, that that was um established for me at that time. And uh then we always say, you know, second stage recovery is the hard work of the relationship because everything that was there, once discovery happens, everything gets magnified and amplified as far as the dynamics of the relationship. And then that's where the real work begins um, after sobriety. And if you're going to, you know, hopefully the marriage survives. And if you do the work, not only does it survive, it, it can thrive. But it's the work of the dynamics that go back to childhood. So it's that part of the conversation that gets us past, as difficult as they are to hear, the facts around the habits, the habitual activity. And it gets us into basically charting or locating matters of the heart. And that's the more lengthy work, maybe even the more difficult work. You mentioned a word, a disclosure. I'd love to give our listeners just kind of a brief before we get into this and we start talking about hope. There are many who are right on the back end of either discovery or disclosure. Uh, The work that we're going to talk about, we're going to listen to you guys talk about this in this episode, no matter how it happens, discovery or disclosure, this is the work that you're trying to get to, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, We always say, you know, we call it the four C's, what the other person did. uh, You can't change it. uh, you, You can't control it. And you didn't cause it. However, at some point, we have to begin to look at the contribution in the dynamics of the relationship. And it takes two people to make a relationship, and there's always a contribution. And when I say that, it's like, 
I don't blame Eva on any level for what I did in my acting out of my sexual addiction. I came pre-programmed um, out of the box, um, in the marriage box. That was all there. Yeah. Uh, and it wouldn't have mattered who I was married to. It That would have played out um, because of just the conditioning and uh, exposure uh, to porn and uh, the history. And at the same time, the dynamic, the dynamics of the relationship created issues in just, you know, how we interacted with one another. And, you know, part of what we're doing uh, in our addiction is we're, um, we're, we're managing our emotional distress. And when we're under a lot of emotional distress and we don't know how to emotionally regulate, well, we're probably going to go back to the illegitimate coping behavior that worked because it does work we wouldn't do it if it didn't work mm. but we got to learn new skills and that's the hard work and we always say it's a skill set and an and an ability and you can each learn the skill set and you have the ability to do it so a big part of the hope for the story as you guys tell it and as so many of us here locally see you both living out is that it's possible to get back to a place of restoration and as and of hope as long as that work on the heart is actually engaged. Oh yeah, and and certainly you know we didn't we did not want the marriage that we had uh, the first time. Mm. Uh, we wanted something different, and if you want something different, you probably got to change. Yeah. So without further delay, here's the episode part two of Ron and Eva's story. Our guests on the podcast today are Roan and Eva Hunter. This is actually a follow-up episode to a previous podcast that we did. Uh, Roan and Eva are the founders of LifeWorks Counseling. And if you did not listen to the first episode with Roan and Eva, stop right now and go go listen to that. But uh, if you had the good fortune of listening to it, where we left off last time is you guys, through dealing with marital you know, issues, ultimately got divorced and remarried. That's where we ended the last episode. We'd like to pick up right where we left off. Thank you guys for being here again. Thanks Thank for you. having Glad us. Glad we're back. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron, one of the a recent you know, social media um, is how we learn everything these days, but uh, I've known you for a while now, and we were talking about when you and Eva got remarried and you told the story about how you knocked on the door of the the retired Baptist mm-hmm. pastor and he, he married you and what a beautiful moment that was, but... I saw a picture of you, and I, and I question, be honest with you, the whether or not this marriage is actually valid. But I, I know you had the fortune of marrying your son and now daughter-in-law, and I don't think I've ever seen a photograph glow like the photograph of you in that moment. And I've heard people talk about, you know, the moments they miss if a divorce happens. Mm. How was that? Oh my gosh, uh, it was it was pretty amazing, and and certainly to think that uh, could have missed all of that, boy, it it was. And the same for me. Yeah, same. Yeah, for, I yeah. felt the same way. That oh, yeah. I was just so grateful that um, that it did work out for us, and that um, Roan was willing, and I was willing to really have the marriage that God intended us to have all along. And yeah, it was just certainly an honor and a privilege that they they asked me to do the do their ceremony. 
and it was pretty darn special. Sure well, was. That's got to be a moment where it certainly comes together, and you know that, man, it was worth it to put in the all the work that you guys did. Yes. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, uh, 100%. We say that often. Uh, we just had our first grandbaby. Uh, yes, our other son and his wife had our first granddaughter. Thank you. Uh, and it's a granddaughter. We had two sons, so this is a whole new world. <laughs> and even driving down to the hospital when she was in labor, uh, we looked at each other and said, "It it's all been worth it. Every step of the journey has been worth it. All right, so I have to know the grandparent name is what? <laughs> I am, I, well. I'm Lolly. And I am Pop. So is it cool if we just call you Lollipop? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's great. So, so, yeah, now absolutely. Guys, you, touched on a, you touched on something that I want to talk about because I think that's part of the, you know, and I talk to my clients about this. It's one of the hardest parts about grieving a lost marriage is mm. Is honestly your story is that hope of reconciliation is you know nobody stands on the aisle getting ready to walk down um, to be married and thinks oh this is going to end badly and and that really is you know with a death there is finality yeah. mm-hmm. but with a lost marriage there is always that hope that things could be restored to the way they were and um, you guys talk to couples every day and where that is their reality. Yeah, and we we often, you know, we tell couples all the time, and I mean, this might be bad for y'all's business, but we always say, you know, even Jesus said, you know, like, like everybody thinks that adultery is the reason for divorce. But really, if you look at that passage, what Jesus said is it, it is, that was given by Moses. He said it is, and it is because of the hardness of heart and we have seen, obviously, our own marriage and many marriages heal from adultery. So it's not the unforgivable, unpardonable sin, but it, it, it takes two willing people to really put forth the effort and to put that back together. But it's certainly doable. You know, and while, while every you know, relationship is different, uh, I know that I always tell my clients that I see adultery as more of a symptom of a problem, a symptom of an already diseased marriage or relationship. That's right. And, you know, so if you're going to fix your relationship, you have to address whatever that underlying issue is. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And and in our our certifying body, we are, even our uh, CSAT uh, therapist, which is, it uh, stands for Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, and we're supervisors, but our certifying body is the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, because as you heard, if you listen to part one of our uh, of the podcast, um, you know, w- there's a lot of trauma in Eva and my, both of our backgrounds. And so those, before we ever even met one another, yeah, before we, yeah, we ever showed up in each other's lives, all that was in place. And so, as you're saying, Matt, that that those things were already in place, that disease of trauma was already playing out in our marriage. Um, and, you know, any of the addictive type behaviors, acting out behaviors are just, you know, that's what we call it, acting out. You know, you're acting out of the pain and the hurt, all the stuff that you brought into the marriage with you, and it's just you're blaming the other person. Let's continue on in the story. So when we left off before, you guys had restored your life, restored your marriage. But these days you're working professionally with other couples who have had the same experiences that you have. So how did you get from there to here? 
Mm. Well, it only took us 25 years <laughs> um, uh, to, to begin practicing to, to do what we're doing today. However, we started early on just in a lay ministry setting working with um, – I started working with men uh, dealing with sexual brokenness uh, in various forms, and Eva started working with partners um, of yes. sexual brokenness. After a, a period of time, I mean, of, of some seasons, yeah, some yeah. years actually, because um, we needed both to experience consistent action over time um, for our marriage. That we really what we what we presented was really real. Um, to other people, we did. We no longer wanted to live this do, um, double life, even in our marriage, in our image. <laughs> you know, we all have that false self, and we really had to get to our true selves and live out of that, um, and do that consistently. Yeah. So that was a journey, it really, was. to get to. And we had two small children. You know, our really our our devotion was to raise them. Uh, get them to be the men that they are today uh, before we were, and I really thought we would probably be counselors when we were retired from our careers, <laughs> our other careers. That's what she thought. That's what I, I, I wanted to get out of corporate role by the time I was 50, and I did. So, but yeah, it was a journey. I mean, we were always involved in uh, support group ministry. That's right. Uh, and, and just through that, working with others, even before we kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say got our act together because we're still working on that. Um, <laughs> but but as we just in our own growth, we're just we just started giving back what we were learning along the way through our own counseling and mm-hmm. and then um, we began our graduate work in Atlanta at Richmond University and and then wound up moving back to Mississippi in in '08 and then finished our counseling degrees here and then started our private practice in. Uh, basically October of 2012. You guys, let's talk about the process. So, um, Eva, you um, so eloquently talked about the the fear and the emotion and the anger really associated with discovery. What happens when Eva Hunter, 1990, walks into Eva and Roan Hunter's office <laughs> in 2020? Well, we really begin just to hear where they are and what what do they want, what where do they want to get to. We also highly recommend that they they and we'll say to them, you know, we need you to hang out with us for about a year. Uh, we're going to get you really involved in a healing process, a journey. We do have a roadmap, um, and we work together as a couple with a couple. However, we also split them up and do a lot of individual. I'll work with the wife, and Roan works with the husband. Um, and then we bring them back together, and sometimes we we separate. Uh, but that's really how we work. We In our roadmap, the first thing we do is called Story of My Life. So it helps them. There are questions that help helps them go back and look at, they begin to collect the dots, to connect the dots. What set me up? To, to be to marry the man that I married uh, or the wife that I married and what set me up to act out in the ways that I've acted out. Yeah, it's um, the, the process that we developed is just out of our own journey because in 1990, uh, we did not have uh, any kind of a whole lot of direction. And one of the things that we know, you know, because couples dealing with 
infidelity. And we put porn in that category because, um, and certainly as a man, uh, you know, sitting with wives when there's been, you know, the discovery of porn, uh, from an emotional standpoint, uh, she feels as betrayed, uh, oftentimes as if he has crossed flesh lines. Absolutely. And so mm-hmm. we just put it, that's all in the same category. Um, and so the couples, uh, when there's been the, you know, the discovery of sexual brokenness, they are in a pretty severe crisis mode. And when you're in crisis, you really need uh, a lot of direction, uh, a lot of action steps in order to kind of stay focused on a process of growth and healing. And that's one reason we have what we call our couple's roadmap of recovery from sexual brokenness. It's very deliberate, kind of a 12-step process that we take a couple through uh, that gives them, um, it certainly gives them hope, uh, it gives them action steps, it gives them tangible things in crisis mode because it is severe emotional crisis. What's the key, uh, Roan, what's the key to making that work? Because oftentimes we know that couples aren't on the same page. They're not both willing to put in the work. Maybe she is, maybe he's not. Or maybe he is and she's not. What do you think is the um, what do you think is the key element which could um, create success for a couple in that regard? Yeah, the the key element is always going to be the willingness on 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 both people's parts uh, to do the work. Um, I mean, she's got her work to do. Uh, and as Eva said, you know, um, and I'm using, I mean, there's obviously there are women that are betrayers as well, um, but I'm just using, you know, uh, the, the the man as the, you know, acting out party and the woman as the partner. Uh, but she needs to be in a group of other women that have walked that same path. And research even shows that the brain heals um, when we're with people that have similar or like experiences. Uh, and that's why the the I'll just use the term the addict cannot help in the partner's healing. They can help in the comfort of the hurt and certainly taking ownership and responsibility. But I think the key is the willingness, and then it is consistent action over time. Uh, that's what the that's what the partner has to see um, in order for her to begin to feel safe. Uh, not trust because safety has to come first uh, before trust comes. And it's all about her safety in the process. And that takes time. Well, those people who are listening right now are um, hearing, I think, a lot of hope from you guys. Do you have any specific examples of of couples, certainly not sharing any names because of confidence, that they've also recovered from this? Or are you guys unique? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. We've had multiple hundreds of couples heal. Yeah, we uh, we do not only just do we take a couple through the roadmap, uh, we also uh, have what we they're couples intensives. And these intensives are not just specific to like sexual brokenness. They're they're open to any couple. And it's a it's a game changer when a couple comes and does one of our intensives. Uh, We do two of those a year. We bring in two therapists that are just nationally known and two of the best in our business. Um, But the couples that have engaged in our entire process, and that would be our roadmap, that would be the couples intensives. I do men's intensives. Eva will do partners intensives along the way. And then along with the groups that we offer, uh, plus our men's coaching weekends, 
Uh, I mean, we have uh, the success rate of the couples that have done all of those things is somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 96% success rate. Wow, and that's, that's just an informal tracking of the couples that have gone through over the five-year period that we've had these this process available. It's pretty amazing. Let's talk about Let's talk about sex. You know, a lot of couples who are um, finding recovery from sexual brokenness, they have a hard time re-engaging with each other in that way. And, you know, there is a an idea in the law of condemnation, and um, that is condoning bad behavior. And so we, as divorce lawyers, have to warn a, a couple, uh, or not a couple, um, we have to warn people that, listen, I've heard what you have to say. We're not advocates for divorce. We're advocates for you. But I need to warn you that if you re-engage in a sexual relationship with your spouse, then you are running the risk of forgiving what you know. You certainly can't forgive that which you don't know. But I said, on the other hand, I'm a, I'm a realistic person, and I know how important a, a normal sexual relationship is in a marriage. And so my question to you guys is, how do you, how do you balance that? Because, you know, we have been designed, and sex is part of the design, but when there is betrayal around sex, that becomes, I would imagine, increasingly difficult. A- absolutely. Um, and one of the things that we tell a couple is like, and, and Eva said this earlier, is like, you know, we want you to give it a year before you make any life-changing decisions. And and certainly the sex piece in that, uh, you know, they're probably going to be having sex. Uh, one of the things that we recommend a couple do early on is, is a 90-day period of abstinence. Uh, and part of that is just resetting the brain, uh, kind of clearing the chemicals out from all the sexual, any sexual acting out behavior. And the focus during that time is on the emotional connection because most couples, um, they have more, they, most couples have a sexual connection and they lack an intimate emotional connection. And we're working on that emotional connection because ideally sex would be the byproduct of the emotional, intimate connection. But in our world today, we've kind of got that inverted. And so the process is uh, what we what we use uh, is called sexual reintegration therapy, and that comes from doctors uh, Bill and Ginger Burkaw, uh, and they have a workbook that we use called the, the Couple's Guide to Intimacy. And so we're getting the couple to really begin to focus on the emotional and relational connection and to take sex off of the table. Um, and and so if and then we always say, you know, in a year's time, you will come to your answer. And that answer is going to be dependent on the amount of work that the offending party uh, is willing to do. And what you're what you see them doing uh, will be your determinant. If they're just kind of, if they're not all in, if they're kind of halfway working some like program of, of trying to, you know, do things different, then that's an indicator. Uh, that person needs to be all in and will be being willing to do whatever it takes in order to change uh, the behaviors, in order to uh, learn what intimacy is, true intimacy, not sex. Um, and, and how to have a healthy relationship uh, with another human being 
because ultimately it's all of this comes down to attachment issues and not knowing how to attach uh, in relationship with someone else. What advice would you give to somebody who maybe their partner is not bought in in the process of reconstructing their relationship or fixing their relationship? So um, let's say the example is uh, the husband is still... Uh, just kind of playing around with his addiction. He may not be having an affair or he may not be, um, I don't know. Uh, looking at porn. Looking I mean, at porn. He may not be doing those things, but he's really not all in. Or maybe he has had a slip uh, in one of those areas. The goal for the partner is to become a very well-boundaried woman. Like she knows, she begins to really work on herself and and really value who she is and who um, Jesus says she is. That she has, she's worthy to be with a partner who is faithful and who is honest. Um, and and when we say honest, we really move towards r- living a life of rigorous honesty. There's no more manipulation. There's no more hiding behaviors. There's no more running behaviors. Uh, and so. We kind of define what does healthy look like and and for both people. And then are you willing to live a life that's consistent? Well, and it's and it's, you know, certainly the willingness is a thing, and that's like willing to get off of social media. Uh, one of the terms we use is like it's is snacking, uh, the you know, the guys on Facebook and and again, I'm using that. There's women that that cheat as well, but but it's all these little indicators that that you know the partner is looking for in order to see if he's if he's really all in, in order to be able to like you know have have ultimately all this is healthy boundaries. Both of you have used the term boundaries, and for our listeners out there who might not be in the counseling world or might not be divorce lawyers like me and Matt who hear the concept of boundaries, can you explain it to the listener in a way that makes sense? Well, I hope so. Um, Boundaries are really what I will accept and what I won't accept. They're really all about the individual. It's not about trying to get another person to do the right thing or do what they want them to do. It's really coming from the standpoint of... um, I will not accept that you are acting out with other women. I will not. And and if you choose to do that, I can't control it, but this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think boundaries are just simply, you know, it's about who I am as a person. Oftentimes it's like, uh, you know, I've got to set a boundary with somebody. And it's really, that's kind of counterproductive. Uh, it's really more about, like Eva said, you know, who I am as a person. These are things that I will accept. These are things that I will not accept. Uh, these are my values. This is my integrity. These are things that I will do. These are things that I will not do. And then that becomes about me, and I can't control the other person. If you're going to do that, I know what I'm going to do, and it's about me, my values, and my integrity. It's not about setting a boundary on another person. You know, throughout this conversation, we have kind of, uh, it's been framed as as one spouse being the bad actor and another person being the maybe victim, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I always tell people there is no such thing as a perfect spouse. There isn't anybody mm-hmm. that is free from all blame. But sticking with that framework, what does the person who is the victim, who has had this 
happen to them, for lack of a better word, what do they need to know or expect or be willing to do in order to really fix the relationship? So if this if the bad actor is all in and they're doing everything they can to fix this, the victim also has to have you know a willingness to Amen. move forward. What what do you tell those people? Well, they just have to do their own work um, and begin to focus on themselves and where did they come from? What has happened to them? Uh, before the marriage, in the marriage, what is it in, in in me or in that person that has set them up? Let me say it like this. If I had been a healthy whole person, I would not have married Rome. You would have run for your life. And if he had been a healthy whole person, he wouldn't have married me. So we have to figure out, work on, you know, where did I come from? What has affected me? What set me up to be in a relationship with someone who is an addict? Yeah, we say that brokenness meets brokenness. We are equally broken. Um, it's kind of one of the laws of attraction. We call it familiar love. It it looks different. Uh, Eva's brokenness certainly looked different than mine. But uh, if we could scale it out, it would be equal because what we always say is like water rises to its own level. So Eva had her brokenness that she needed to work on, and obviously I had mine that I needed to work on. And that that's the work, and that's the growth. And there's a difference between certainly uh, a betrayed partner is a victim. She's been victimized. There, the, yeah, she's mm-hmm. been victimized. However, there's a difference between a victim and a victim mindset. And if the other person is is willing to go all in and they're doing the work, then you know, chances are, I mean, even if they get divorced and this guy, and again, using the man, um, if he's all in and she kicks him to the curb and goes and marries another guy, well, you know, do you want the known or do you want the unknown? And so if somebody's willing to do the work, um, then that's, that's, that's where each person wins. Well, does that have to involve like a, a true element of forgiveness and, and mm. in order to work back to building that trust? Yes. And, you know, forgiveness is a process. There's really two parts to forgiveness. The first part is, yes, I can forgive you. I want to move forward. Now, the second part of forgiveness is working through the impact that this has had on me. And we like to tell people that, you know, once there is a discovery, once something happens that blows up their routine, their normal. At that point, it becomes a little bit about information gathering. And that's what we're hoping to do in this podcast is just give people options, give people um, different opportunities for what the journey ahead of them looks like. Matt and I don't uh, encourage people to get a divorce. Quite frankly, it's none of our business whether or not um, they decide to get a divorce or whether or not they move toward reconciliation. But we like to tell people there's nothing wrong with arming themselves with information. And Eva, I think you have pointed out that there's nothing wrong with setting clear boundaries as well. Is that true? That's true. I do want to, Craig, I do want to comment on one thing that you said. You used the word setting boundaries. Um, and I would just correct that. And, and it's more about having boundaries. Identifying your boundaries. Right. The boundaries come from within, not from some external source. That's right. That's right. right. Well, guys, we did it again. Um, 
you know, I could talk to you for hours and hours. And thank you so much again for spending time with us. But I don't want to end the episode without giving our listener an opportunity to connect with you guys. Ron, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, our website is the easiest way. And our website is lifeworksms.com. And lifeworks is all one word. And then we also, in the process, we have our uh, an upcoming book uh, that is going to be out probably the first part of next year. Uh, and the book will be Sex, God, and the Chaos of Betrayal, a couple's roadmap of recovery from sexual brokenness. So that'll be coming up, um, like I say, first part of the year. We're excited about that. Guys, thank you all so much again for being here today. I can't wait to read the book and find out more about y'all's story. Uh, We'll have to have you back again sometime. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.